This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hello there and welcome to the Bite Size Business Breakfast. The very best bits of today's show. It is a Wednesday, 16th of November and we are live in Abu Dhabi, the nation's capital for Abu Dhabi Finance Week. What have we got for you today? Well, we're going to start with a bit of breaking news actually internationally because just as we went on air this morning, 6am, Donald Trump took to the stage in Mar-a-Lago, his Florida resort, to announce his bid for the presidency. So we will hear from the man in orange a little bit later on. Who else? Well, one of the stars of the show here, headline acts at Abu Dhabi Finance Week, is His Excellency Abdulaziz al Guerrer, head of the UAE Bank's Federation and, of course, a scion of the banking industry through Mashrake Bank. Our exclusive interview with him coming up. Then we're looking forward to the World Cup, which kicks off this weekend in Qatar. A lot of people, well, the lucky few, but several of them will be going there on private jets. Holger Ostheimer has the job of making all that happen smoothly. He is the head of Alpha Tame DC Aviation. It's in simple terms a private jet operator, so we'll hear from him a little bit later on. And finally, staying with the theme of Abu Dhabi Finance Week, really interesting conversation with the chief executive of ADGM Courts. What's that? ADGM is Abu Dhabi Global Market. They've got courts here in the way that DIFC has courts in Dubai. Linda Fitzallen will be sharing her thoughts. All that to come, but first up, only one place to start. It's the Donald. It is a spectacular event down here at Abu Dhabi Global Market. If you're in the vicinity, do please pop in and say hello. Many Dubai Eye listeners have, which has been really nice. Genuinely, we really like it when you come and say hello. Uh, and you can't miss us because we've got this huge stage here. They've really... Uh, They've done us proud, haven't they, Brandy? Yeah, they have. Look, we've done a lot of these outside broadcasts and it's always tremendously fun to get out and meet people, actual (laughs) people outside of our glass box. Um, But I think this bar one that we did for for National Day is the first time we have been properly outside. We we are outdoors, which does get a bit hot around about about 9.15 yesterday. We've got an iPad that we use as a clock because you... (laughs) And, and it, it overheated and just stopped working. So it's a bit hot. As do the uh, the presenters occasionally. And the but, production team. But other than that, um, it's exceptionally pleasant. Uh, we're hoping for a nice, strong breeze this morning, if anyone actually knows the weather forecast. If only I had a device in which I could look it up. Uh, we are going through all of the news that's coming out, not just of um, Abu Dhabi Finance Week, and certainly there is an awful lot of that. Um, but around the UAE and the world in general. We're looking at what's happening with the FTX. We're looking at the latest numbers coming out of Japan, what that suggests um, about the slowing global economy. But we're also taking the advantage of getting the thoughts of thought leaders who are here at this conference. Well, let's hear from one of them now. Abdulaziz al Guerrer is the chairman of the UAE Banks Federation, but of course made his name veteran banker as the CEO and now chairman and indeed his family owner of Mashrek Bank and I caught up with him yesterday straight after his speech on stage and we managed to grab a few words with him. He was talking about um, the future of finance. Funny enough. Small topic then. Uh, So we asked uh, Abdulaziz Algarer how do you define that and this is what he told us. If we want to see the future of banking in the UAE we should also look at the back (laughs) history of UAE banking. We have seen how UAE banking in the last 20 years have grown 12 times so now it's becoming a total asset of $900 billion. I think the future is bright for banks in the UAE because they have adopted all this transformation they have done from digital, acquiring customer, offering customer a choice, 
on how they want to get the services and uh, make it a great customer experience for them so they no longer have to come to branches, come to their, they can avail all their services almost remotely or digitally or through the app. And that's interesting because he's not some trendy 27-year-old in a pair of trainers and a hoodie. He's a, a veteran banker, yeah. find the iron candora, you know, looking very much the kind of statesman-like banker. And he's saying, fintech's the future. We've got to change. We've got to do things differently. Full interview with him coming up later on this hour, just before 8 o'clock in the morning. But internationally, the big breaking story is Donald Trump. Yeah, it is indeed. So he's filed the documents to run uh, for the White House again. He's stood up uh, Mar-a-Lago and has given something of a speech. The question is, who is going to be backing him? Um, reports suggest that the Murdoch empire will not. Mm. And that's um, Fox News, isn't it, which is massive. Being carried by the uh, Guardian this morning that I think we could argue wouldn't be a Trump backer anyway. Um, the uh, the questions are what it means for fact-checking. And also, you could argue, right about now, what kind of social media platforms he will have available to him. Will he be back on Twitter? Uh, we haven't... Elon hasn't said whether he's going to let Trump back on Twitter, has he? He said, I'm not going to change anything before the midterms. But the midterms are past now. Yeah, they have indeed. So, uh, Donald Trump has said that America's comeback, and I quote, starts right now. He's got the flags out saying, uh, make America great again. He is actually the first Republican candidate uh, to actually get the paperwork in. But he won't be the only one who is running. The 44-year-old uh, DeSantos seen as a favourite by many? Yes, yeah. And I was looking at the um, implied probability statistics, let's call them that. Uh, By companies that put these things together. Precisely. For financial gain. And uh, DeSantos is the favourite, but uh, Donald Trump is the the second favourite. Joe Biden is the third favourite for the US presidency. It's two years away, but already this, uh, this conversation is happening. Let's hear from him now. This is, speaking within the past few minutes, Donald Trump. I will ensure that Joe Biden does not receive four more years in 2020... Our country could not take that. And I say that not in laughter. I say that in tears. Our country could not take four more years. It can only take so much. It's all very fragile to start off with. It can only take so much. In 2020, I received the largest number of votes of any sitting president in history by a lot. And we will do it again, but with even more votes this time. Donald Trump. Presidential candidate Donald Trump. President Donald Trump, because you keep that term for uh, life as well. Look, this is a good chance to look at where the U.S. economy and indeed the global economy is this morning. We got numbers out of Japan yesterday, a contraction of 0.3 of 1% in the Japanese economy. That follows a contraction of 0.2% in the U.K. economy. And of course, uh, this is one quarter. Everyone's looking to see if there will be a second quarter that follows for pretty much every major economy um, and therefore a technical recession. We also got a key measure of inflation. 
inflation out of the US. The producer price index, not to be confused with the consumer price index, it looks at things from the producer's point of view, how much they actually get paid for what they make. This is Katija Hack, Chief Economist at Emirates NBD. It came at better than expected, as indeed the last CPI reading did as well. So how important is that when we look at what the Fed might do next? This is Katija. U.S. producer inflation slowed again in October, coming in at just 0.2% month-on-month, which was quite a lot lower than the market had been expecting. Um, The annual inflation rate slowed to 8% year-on-year. And just looking back, we can see that PPI had been as high as 11.6% year-on-year in March and had remained above 11% through the entire second quarter. Um, We have seen a significant slowdown in terms of of, uh, producer inflation in the United States um, since June. And it's important perhaps to note that services inflation declined for the first time since November 2020. And we have also seen um, a drop in tradable goods inflation as well. So this probably reflects a softening in demand as well as improving supply chains and a stronger US dollar, which of course makes imported components and items cheaper for uh, American companies. Now, the better than expected Uh, PPI data provides further evidence perhaps that inflation in the US has peaked and it does allow the Fed room to slow the pace of rate hikes going forward. We did have some comments from Fed officials overnight and yesterday as well, um, which have all indicated support for a slowdown in the pace of rate hikes, but still quite firm on the fact that rates will need to rise further than where they are. Katija Hack of Emirates MBD. So I was chatting with Katija earlier on this because I um, erroneously, when I first read this, thought, okay, if we're 0.2% month on month, extrapolate that out. If you annualize that, Mm -hmm. that's about a 2-ish percent inflation rate. Um, And Katija very kindly pointed out, no, it's 8% year on year. It's not 0.2% year on year. So my thanks to Katija for that. And, and yeah, but if you go forwards, if you look forwards, if we stay at 0.2% month on month, then we will be at an annualised rate of 2-ish percent. The, I mean, I think the, the point to take here is that it's still rising at a slower rate than expected, but things are still going up. Yes. Um, and if we look to the UK, where I've been looking this morning um, at some studies suggesting that rising wages are not keeping up um, with the pace of inflation. If you get, um, you know, I don't know, an 8 or 9% pay rise, it might look good on paper. But when you take out what price rises are actually doing, that can end up being a bit of a loss annually, can't it? And we've got that autumn statement coming out um, from the new UK Chancellor Jeremy Hunt. Uh, Rishi Sunak, the Prime Minister, has been speaking to reporters in Bali, kind of almost softening up in the way uh, that Mr Hunt did on television a couple of days ago, warning um, of of tax cuts and cuts, sorry, tax rises and cuts to public spending. All this to come on the Business Breakfast this morning. Join the conversation. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiI1038.com. Yesterday, I was speaking to one of the legends, the icons of banking and finance here in the UAE. He is His Excellency Abdulaziz Al-Gharair. 
if you're new in town, I'll introduce him. If you've been here a while, he needs no introduction, but I'll introduce him anyway. He is, he was the CEO for decades of Masherek Bank. His family created uh, Masherek Bank, one of the biggest banks in the country. He is now the chairman. He's also the chairman of the UAE Banks Federation. So he was speaking here yesterday. And again, standing room only for His Excellency Abdulaziz Algarer. We caught up with him briefly afterwards and we began by asking him a very big, broad, almost existential question. How do you define the future of finance? I think um, if we want to see the future of banking in the UAE, we should also look at the back history of UAE banking. We have seen how UAE banking in the last 20 years have grown 12 times. So now it's becoming a total asset of $900 billion. I think the future is bright for banks in the UAE because they have adopted all this transformation they have done from digital, acquiring customer, um, offering customer a choice on how they want to get the services and uh, making a great customer experience for them so they no longer have to come to branches, come to their, they can avail all their services almost remotely or digitally or through the app. In terms of fintech, is it a threat or an opportunity? I think we all realize that fintech is, is a great uh, evolution and it will help banks all to work together. So um, as I said today in my speech that we will work together with the fintech, with the big tech, because they become a partner of us and I think the financial institution will be the biggest use of their services. Uh, in terms of cryptocurrencies, we've seen this week, obviously, a lot of turbulence in the crypto markets. To what extent, to you as a, as a banker and the head of the Banks Federation, to what extent is, is that on your radar or is it something separate to banking, would you say? I think crypto, uh, cryptocurrency is an, uh, is an evolution stage and um, all what we're asking is, it has to be regulated, not only in the UAE, but across the world. So I hope there's some, some kind of regulation will come up. And we want to make sure that the consumer is protected and they know what they're doing. So with some regulation, I think that we can continue in this uh, direction. You mentioned on stage that branches are going to have to be one of the first things to go for banks as they cut costs to compete with fintechs and, and keep up with innovation. Just talk us through the change in the branch network that you've seen throughout your career in the UAE. Well, I've seen for the last you know, five years, we've seen banks cutting down their branches by 30%. And because now customers have a choice, they can avail all kinds of services, be, be it retail or corporate, all digitally. So there is no longer the customer need to come to branch to avail their, their uh, banking service. Even from opening accounts uh, for consumer, they can do it at home. And we have, you know, a biometric measure that we can recognize the individual and no longer uh, a banker will come and visit you or see you while you're opening. We'll send your checkbook, we'll send your ATM card, we'll send your credit card uh, uh, to your home or to your office of your choice. A couple of final questions. We've seen quite a bit of consolidation in the sector in recent years, particularly here in Abu Dhabi. Do you expect to see more of that, either banks buying banks and merging or banks buying fintech? I think uh, the banking industry is, uh, is going to grow. It's going to grow at more than 10% per annum. 
So there is a huge uh, money and profit in banking. We think there will be some consolidation, but more than that, there will be newcomer to come to this. We have already seen three banks coming in, you know, two digital and three others bank also coming, offering digital service. And foreign player, FinTech will come to provide uh, a service to the customer here in the UAE. Uh, finally, what would be your message to a young banker coming into the industry, late teens, early 20s? I think uh, banking is a great industry. There's a lot to be learned. You know, you can combine all your experience um, and you can get it from one source because the banks serve a, a complete different segment of the industry, of the consumer. So you can l practice what you learned at the university, at the bank, and in five, ten years you can go and start your own business. That is the voice of Abdulaziz al -Gharir. He is the chairman of the UAE Banks Federation, speaking here at Abu Dhabi Finance Week in the nation's capital. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Where we are looking ahead to quite the packed sporting calendar. Yesterday, we spoke to Dubai Airport's boss, Paul Griffiths, about what incoming football fans mean for passenger numbers through DXB. This morning, we're looking at whether or not they're all going commercial. We're very pleased to be joined by Mr. Private Jet, Holger Osmeyer, Managing Director of DC Aviation, Al Fatame. Holger, good morning. Thanks for speaking to us. Good morning. You have been offering and chartering business jets for flights to Doha during the World Cup. What kind of interest have you seen? We've seen a continued high level of interest, however, compared to the numbers of calls uh, that we are receiving and uh, the ratio it is translating into bookings, it's not quite yet uh, where we believe it should be. Uh, this may change. Uh, we are working very last minute. Um, this is uh, sort of in our DNA. But given the regulations that have been imposed uh, by the government in Doha in regards to various uh, additional fees and restrictions and limitations, on uh, permits and uh, parking uh, conditions and so forth. It could be uh, a little bit better, if I'm being honest, uh, but uh, people keep calling in at high numbers. Okay, so give me an idea of the numbers. What are you seeing and, and how many planes have you managed to charter? Yeah, in the last, uh, in the last three weeks alone, we've had, uh, we're obviously chartering across the board, not just to Doha. Uh, the remainder of the business uh, continues as well. But uh, for Destination Doha, we have seen uh, 160 book uh, requests in uh, yeah in just the last 20, 21 days. However, uh, translated this into numbers, I think we got uh, three flights out of that. Who is booking them or inquiring about them? Well, uh, this, uh, the, the inquiries range from, uh, from different areas. This could be uh, consolidators, this could be uh, end clients asking for a lift, two, three, uh, four people, sometimes larger groups of, of up to eight. And uh, we've, uh, we're offering a widespread uh, from a very small aircraft, which makes it a lot more palatable for people who do want to dig that deep, a PC-12, um, that is uh, $22,000 one way. Uh, the challenger category um, is at around 35000 And uh, the Bombardier Globals, uh, Falcon 7Xs and Gulfstreams, uh, that's a $50,000 one way fee, uh, which is now to cover 
all of those costs uh, that uh, have been exposed, imposed externally. I would have expected, Holger, an awful lot more, to be honest, would you? Um, I would have. Um, I didn't just uh, leave it with uh, with our view on the market. I've spoken to the chartering industry, the German Freeborns Air Charter Service Air Partner, and they were pretty much uh, confirming um, what we are observing. They have larger amounts of uh, flights booked from outside uh, the region, so from Europe, uh, US, uh, South America. Um, but like I said, um, from what we have seen, the ratio uh, from inquiries uh, to confirmations is uh, below expectations right now. Is it the the regulations that you mentioned at the start of the interview or are increased costs putting people off? It is, well, it's the, it's the, the consequence of it. Um, again, we have to differentiate here, um, looking at the global activity. And the global activity shows that we have seen um, uh, unchanged numbers in the US uh, compared to last year, still way up compared to 2019. In Europe, we're seeing a decline in charter requests and charter bookings compared to last year, but again, still up on uh, 2019. The rest of the world, though, compared to last year, is still booking at large numbers and is an exorbitant uh, 53% up um, compared to what it was in 2019. If we now localize this uh, to uh, to Doha, then yeah, it is really that um, what we believed was going to happen hasn't yet happened. But we are a last minute uh, industry, and this can change uh, any day. How last minute could it, it get? What's normal for bookings? It really depends on uh, on time needed to prepare a flight. It might uh, it, it is possible for us. Uh, to do what an airline uh, undertakes uh, to prepare a flight destination over a period of uh, of 18 to 20 months. Uh, we do that in a day. Um, you call us today, you want to fly from Dubai to uh, London, for instance. Uh, we're going to arrange this within three hours. Talk to me, though, just to pull it back to the costs. What kind of increase um, in costs? We're talking about inflation. We're talking about higher fuel prices here on the business breakfast all the time. Uh, what kind of increase in costs have you seen over the last year? We've discussed it uh, last time, I believe. The fuel price isn't taking the ultimate effect. But given um, the high level of uh, of the barrel of oil, given uh, the increase of associated costs that starts from catering, it uh, goes into personnel, um, airport charges and so forth, all of which create a picture that uh, leaves the operator with uh, no other choice than having to increase the price. And on the other hand, um, we see a continued high level of utilization of the charter capacity globally, so that uh, the pressure on the market uh, remains high, uh, which leaves uh, the hourly rate at a higher rate, at, I'd say, between 10 and 20% compared to what it was three years ago. 30, minute, uh, 30 seconds rather left with you, Holger. You picked up an awful lot of new clients during uh, the pandemic due to health and safety concerns and others. Are you managing to retain them in private aviation? We have not seen, uh, our business obviously is providing different services. Uh, ground handling services is one of them. We have not seen a dip in activities so that we assume 
those people that have entered into the market are here to stay. Holger Osmeyer is Managing Director at DC Aviation Al Fatem speaking to us uh, this morning about the inquiries, although not necessarily the bookings, uh, for private jets going into Doha for the World Cup. I happen to know that Holger is a big football fan. He's German. He's from the city of Frankfurt, which is an aviation city, and his team won one of the European competitions recently, and he was there. He didn't go on a private jet. He's not like living at large, but he absolutely adores his football. I don't know if he's going to the World Cup in Qatar. I'd be surprised if he wasn't. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. We are very lucky to be able to grab some great people as they make their way into their offices. One of those this morning is Linda Fitzallen. She's the chief executive of ADGM Courts. And it's great to speak to her this morning because they have made our headlines for a new blockchain move that they are bringing in to the court system here at the Abu Dhabi Financial Hub. It's lovely to meet you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Brandy. So tell me what a blockchain-based system looks like when we're talking about a judicial system. Absolutely. So this is a first move for us. So this is putting the enforcement of commercial judgments on the blockchain. So what does that mean? That means massive savings of time and cost in courts having ready for judgment creditors their judgment to take them to be enforced across the world. Okay, let's break this down. What's actually going to happen that's different? Judgments are going to be immediately certified on the blockchain so that the parties do not need to go back to the court, obtain a certified copy of the judgment, and then go to the jurisdiction where they want to enforce their judgment. They they or the court will immediately pick up the judgment on the blockchain. So it loses all of that work and noise around obtaining these authentic judgments from which they can then take steps to enforce the judgment. What does that mean for costs? A massive decrease in cost, legal cost in particular. Lawyers no longer have to go back to the court, obtain the certified copies, then take them to the jurisdictions. They're literally, that's handled entirely digitally via the blockchain. Does everyone accept the the blockchain certification? Because presumably you've got other partners in this chain as well. We do, and we're building up those partners. So our vision for this is a consortium of international commercial courts with this connectivity on the blockchain. But they can already uh, authenticate those judgments via the ADGM website or via an API. So it's not dependent upon them becoming member courts. They can use those other two means to access the authenticated judgment. So you're doing this for your commercial judgments. How far could it go within the ADGM system and behind the scenes? Oh, massively. This this solution is the start, particularly with the creation of wallets uh, for parties in the case, and NFTs are minted and assigned to those wallets. So you can see the expansion of this in terms of the commercial activities of AGM is, is massive. So this is just a start with the court, but there's so much more to come. You mentioned NFTs. How much NFT activity are you seeing and what does it look like? Um, not Nothing in the justice space, obviously, um, but generally, commercially, m- massive. We're seeing a lot in that. And this International Financial Center is driving this transformation with technology and with finance. So, you know, here talking to people at Abu Dhabi Finance Week, 
NFTs, all of all of that around that with startups, massive, massive. Is it changing who you see before you though? Who you see involved in the actual, you know, disputes and issues that the courts are dealing with? No, not uh, it won't immediately. Interestingly. Um, but I think for this jurisdiction, which uh, parties, we call it, they can opt into the jurisdiction so they can select our court or our arbitration as means of dispute resolution. So we do think with these extraordinary developments with technology um, and the appreciation that this is a sustainable development as well, uh, we do think this will um, broaden out this jurisdiction and make it really a, quite a, a leading hub in dispute resolution, which we think we already are, to be honest, in terms of what we've done with technology so far. Well, I mean, we are looking forward very much today to hearing CZ speak, the uh, the Binance find founder and CEO. Obviously, crypto making massive headlines around the world at the moment for the bankruptcy of FTX. I presume that you guys have been watching it incredibly closely. Could it inform bankruptcy rulings, rules, regulations around crypto here in Abu Dhabi? Um, we, we're always viewing what's happening across the world, particularly with developments like that. Um, we are ADGM and ADGM courts is becoming a mature cross-border uh, dispute resolution jurisdiction. Um, so, you know, yeah, I think we will be watching those that enormously. Um, we have a very, very progressive insolvency framework here. So what we see across the world and happening and what we can tweak in order to make it resonate with what's happening is, is something that we're always looking to do. So how busy has 2022 been for the courts? What have you seen this year? Extremely busy. We've more than doubled the, cost, uh, the caseload of the court. And that is in essentially banking claims and commercial claims. So it's, it is becoming a testament to the fact that the court, you can opt in for the court to resolve your dispute. So, yeah, this has been a very, very positive year for the court in terms of caseload and also in terms of dealing with the complex disputes that we have efficiently through our e-courts platform because nothing we do is in paper. It's a full digital journey of the case. So uh, that, for parties, is um, really making massive headwind for them in saving some time and cost. It's interesting that you describe an increase in caseload as positive. People might think, oh my gosh, an increase in disputes. Does that mean that more stuff is going wrong? Tell me about the, the reason you describe it as a, as a plus. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you asked me that because if we, for example, if certain types of cases, we would not want to see an increase in those cases. But what that signifies is that parties outside of ADGM have the confidence that the court within ADGM is efficient, fast and digital. So that they are disputes coming in or the resolution of them is coming into the court. It's not necessarily homegrown disputes showing some issues. What kind of percentage, what kind of amount of that caseload is coming from outside? Uh, around 75%. That large? Yeah. And are we seeing a change in the kind of disputes that are coming as, as technology and, and finance, fintech, the rest of it evolves? We're starting to see a, a little bit of a change in that with technology coming through. Um, but we're seeing now an increase in the complexity of the disputes. So I, I think the world, you know, with a, a adjustment over the last few years, I think it's really uh, 
started interesting, I would call it interesting, perhaps parties wouldn't, but but very complex disputes arising out of uh, events that may not have been foreseen. We've had a couple of those. <laughs> exactly. Um, and in particular... Uh, and the way, you know, parties' contractual arrangements respond to them. So, you know, we are, this is a, a new world in dispute resolution. Thanks very much for joining us and talking to us about it this morning. Uh, Linda Fitzallen is the Chief Executive from ADGM Courts, speaking to us here um, about the new blockchain system that they have put in place when it comes to the rulings for their commercial disputes. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.